I'd like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world, and I'm your host, Adam Campbell. It is July 28th, and I've got a great show for you this week. That's right. It's the end of the month, and what better way to end it than with an episode of militant eroticism? Now, that's going to be in the second half of the show with Aden Arden. Very excited for that. We tried to have him co-host the show here and re- actually live record his segment, but my internet shit the bed, meaning it died. I have no idea why, but I <laughs> I hope it's up by the time I can, um, I don't know, need to publish this tomorrow morning because <laughs> I record this on Sundays. Uh, Yeah, I love technology until it stops working, and then I absolutely despise that it's not perfect. (laughs) That it doesn't work perfectly whenever I need it to work perfectly. That's life. What can you do? I do have a great show for you. Uh, Before I dive into this show, a couple couple things here. Uh, First and foremost, thank you very much for listening. I appreciate it. And thank you for telling a friend. Now, I had, since last episode, received some correspondence saying that they just heard of me, and I don't, here's the thing, like, because I said I like to hear this, it doesn't mean I want you to send me that, so last week I said, hey, I love it hearing, you know, uh, I just found out about your podcast, I've been listening to it, great job, keep it up, and I got response saying the exact same thing, so I don't know if, (laughs) it's like someone's fucking with me and they're just parroting back to me, but... If it's real, hey, thanks. I appreciate it. <laughs> it's always nice. But look, if you haven't shared the word about Nine Cents in one way or another, why? I appreciate guilty secrets. I appreciate guilty pleasures. Uh, is that the same thing? I appreciate you spreading the word, though. Breaking out of that guilty pleasure mode and transforming into sharing mode. That's what I like. Share nine cents. We have a lot of really, really fantastic things. And this is actually a great segue here because it is, I don't know, you just heard a doorbell by me. Ugh. I tell every, I set this show up so that I can record it when everyone else is sort of down. You know what I mean? Like, like my kids are supposed to be either in bed or you know, they've winded down for the day. My wife is supposed to be watching them. And it's supposed to be, like, podcast time. Inevitably, something happens. Now, it could be the kids just forgetting or intentionally trying to uh, ag- razzle me, <laughs> aggravate me. Uh, but something always happens. And in this case, it was just a doorbell. And, you know, from the outside, it would be like, oh, well, just someone's coming to your house. You can't control that. Except I know for a fact it's my daughter. <laughs> she... She's the only person that rings the damn doorbell on my door. So, yeah. Love you, hon. That's <laughs> fantastic. Um, okay, so what I was saying here was that I do have some amazing stuff planned. 
numero uno on that list coming up here is, and I know it's still a couple months out, but still, never too early to start the hype machine, the Greater Magic episode. Dun, dun, dun. Now, I've finally lined up a guest that I've wanted to have for a while now. Very excited for this individual. And you guys are going to freaking love it, too, when you hear it. However, I want you to be a part of this. I want you to be a part of Nine Cents History. And I say this every year, um, but I mean it. And we only have to look to the past couple years for verification that these episodes are huge. And so I want you to be a part of it. Send me your Greater Magic questions. Now, this Greater Magic episode um, at the end of October... Is not going to be featured, uh, I'm sorry, is not going to be centered around the traditional information that we've talked about for two years now. Uh, greater magic in practicing ritual uh, magicians' lives, and then uh, greater magic through the lens of a woman. No, no, no. We're going to the fringe here, people. The fringe. We're going to be talking about things that are sort of playing at the edge of the light of magic. Stuff that is scientifically studied, but still considered fringe. And I hope that you're going to be a part of it. So, send me your questions. All your questions. Uh, they will be answered. If they are good enough, I'll have them answered on the air. If not, then I'll just address them uh, sort of, you know, on the down low with my co-host. And we will get you your answers. But... Either way, we want you to be a part of it. Send in your questions. If you don't send any questions, that's okay because we're still going to give you an hour of amazing greater magic content. But, again, like everything with this show, it is better with your participation. So please, participation. <laughs> eight. <laughs> Participate Asian eight. Or something like that. Yes, I've had a glass of wine. What? What about it? Uh, back on this. Okay, so, <laughs> I'm, I'm going down my note list here. I went to the pool today with my kids, and this is something that we just started doing recently where we go uh, virtually all the damn time, it feels like. My kids love it, and so I go. You run into a, a number of really weird types of people at the public pool. Uh, you run into the perverts. I'm lucky enough that they've always stayed on the other side of a fence or a door, but I see them there. I can spot a pervert a mile away. It, they actually really bother me because I'm, I'm sort of, you know, running block for my kids from the perverts at all times. It's kind of what you do as a parent. So your eye is always sort of on the horizon. Where's the perverts? Where's the perverts? You see them. You're like, all right, honey, you stay on this side of me so they can't see you. Let them look at the other kids. I give a fuck about them. I don't want them looking at you. It sounds bad, but that's kind of how it works as a parent. You turn off your concern for other individuals and you just focus on your own. Uh, I mean, we, we kind of do that with our lives anyway, but... So, uh, and then you run into, uh, the, the weirdos that, that really don't give a fuck about anything, and they're just sort of there letting their freak flags fly, which, alright, you know, that's, that's great, except for when, you know, your belly is hanging six inches below your belt line, and you're running around the diving board, and, you know, there's children, uh, trying to play, but you're like uh, cannonballing into their faces. And, it, you know, there's a point where you have to realize that there's other people around you and maybe we don't want to see your saggy titties. Just saying. And, and that goes for both the sexes. Maybe we don't want to see it. 
So do what you can to, uh, you know, accommodate those around us. We are a society. We're trying to be, after all. Um, but I had a weird experience this time. Uh, I, I ran into this... I, so I'm with there with my wife and my two children. And my wife and I sort of uh, tag team off of our daughter because she's not the best swimmer. And so one of us is spending time with her. And the other one of us is spending time with our older son who, who does, you know, goes off the high dive and swims around and plays with the tags with his friends and stuff. So we're sort of switching, you know, tag teaming back and forth between the two of them uh, so that we can, one, get a little bit of fun and exercise out of it, but also spend time with both of our kids. I ran into a weird thing today where I, I was I was playing with my son and his friends and they were all playing tag and so obviously they were including me and and it's always already weird because I'm the only parent playing with their children. Like I I feel like that should just be like something that you do. You participate with your children's lives. But in this case I was literally the only parent playing with their kids. And there gets to be a ratio when you're outnumbered. Maybe four on one, maybe seven on one, where you're just the weird dude. Like, you may be one of the kid's parents, but you're the weird old guy in this situation. And I had a little bit of clarity, a moment a moment of clarity where I, I thought to myself, I'm the weird old guy playing with my kid and his friends. Like, like we were just playing tag in the pool, but it, it got weird really quick. And, and then the, it, it sort of compounding... This weirdness that I was experiencing, this young girl started, I don't know if she was crushing or, I mean, my wife said she was crushing, but to me, she was just sort of being over, I don't know, exuberant about the game. And I I didn't get the vibe that she was crushing. I got the vibe that she was sort of taking me for the father figure because she didn't have her own there. I don't know, maybe I skew things that way anyway because it happens in my normal life outside of the pool. <laughs> Sounds weird. But, I mean, genuinely, it was like, you know, she sort of said, hey, this is my dad, I'm playing tag with him, and now I'm going to follow him around the entire fucking day no matter what. It just got weird. So not only was I the old guy, but I was the old guy with these young girls sort of chasing after me, and it, it got really, like, creepy and I'm gonna say this and it's gonna sound weird but I mean every every single syllable icky like it was an icky feeling like me being a grown-ass man being chased by these kids um so it, I didn't really know how to deal with it I mean I I could just stop and say you know what I'm done all right I don't want to play your stupid fucking kid games and you're getting a little fucking weird but then I'd be the asshole and I didn't really want to be an asshole so I sort of just you know started just fading into my wife and my kid and ignoring my son and his friends mode where I just, you know, locked in on them like, hey, I'm not playing this anymore, guys. You know, you go, you continue to play. This girl, man, she did not let up. It, was, it, it got really, really weird. I had to just completely ignore them. Like they, you know, they were like, hey, let's play tag. And they're, you know, like tagging my shoulder. I'm like, no, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm busy right now. I'm playing with my daughter. You know, we're teaching her how to swim. So fuck off. Get away from me. What the fuck do I have to do to get these kids to leave me the fuck alone? Like you, you give them a little, you know, you're like, hey, I'm going to play tag with you for a little while. And then suddenly you're like the go-to dad where everyone wants to have you at that moment. You know, I mean, it's, it's hard when it's two children. 
you know, my own two children. I'm like, hey, dad, look at me. Hey, dad, look at me. Hey, dad, look at this. Hey, dad, look at this. Hey, he touched me. She touched me. They're on my side. She's on my side. Oh, and it's just a big fight all the time. But now I've got seven kids that are my own in this goddamned pool. And one of them is like weird latched onto me. It's a bit of a doggone nightmare. So point of this, um, don't play touch tag with your kids in the pool. That actually sounded really creepy, but it wasn't at all. It was all up and up. But it was just weird. It was weird. Don't do it. Uh, let them play, and you just do laps with the fat dude with his stomach hanging down six inches past his belt line. Uh, because I just realized that I'm exactly like that old weird guy. And then, like, the lifeguards. They're these lifeless teenagers just staring off into the sea of splashing children and weird old men. There's, like, no in-between. They're... Never at a public pool will you find other 30-year-old men that you want to, you know, just chat with while the kids are playing. And it doesn't happen. There's no such thing. I don't know. It, <laughs> maybe I should just not go anymore because <laughs> the more I think about it, the weirder, the weirder it gets and the more icky <laughs> I feel about the whole fucking thing. So that was my day. How was yours? Um, okay, well, let's talk about the show and get away from my weirdness here. In The Devil's Advocate, I'm going to be giving you, you know, sort of a point-by-point point here. So I've gone over the 11 rules of the earth before. I'm going to break it down now. So we're going to be talking about the 11th rule of the 11 rules of the earth. When walking in open territory, bother no one. And I'm going to kind of dive into it. This is a, this can be a weird strange rule it's used against us uh, virtually by every single person that has an axe to grind or just wants to uh, emphasize you know in their eyes how evil or bad we are as a group I'm gonna kind of break it down and and, and uh, give you my take here in the infernal informant 10 things to know for Monday that's right I love little news blurbs like this it gives you sort of a, a, a quick time reference to uh, things that are happening like quick shots one two three uh, and then also timing of the latest Anthony Weiner scandal perfect for Christine Quinn comeback we're gonna talk about Anthony Weiner and his Weiner <laughs> and in the last half of the show uh, I'm hoping it'll happen militant eroticism and uh, it's gonna be episode two value comparison compatibility or date for a good fucking reason pretty excited about that and that's gonna do it for the show so let's go ahead and dive into the devil's advocate now you are your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desires he was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. And you are the devil's advocate. I'm a Satanist. I'm an active member in the Church of Satan. But I do not speak for the Church of Satan. That is all. Welcome to the Devil's Advocate, peeps. That's short for people. That's you. 
in case you needed that explanation. All right, so today, this week, we are talking about the 11 rules of the earth uh, by Anton Zander LeVay in uh, Post in 67, of course, is when he originally wrote these. And this is actually the 11th rule we're talking about specifically. When walking in open territory, bother no one. If someone bothers you, ask him to stop. If he does not stop, destroy him. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of things in that, and that's why when there's a statement like this that is on its face uh, so aggressive, uh, so violent, certainly by those uh, detractors and and those who are trying to spin who and what we are as the proverbial bad guy, which is fine. Spin all you want. Because there is something aggressive about this line, and, and we shouldn't have to try to dumb it down. We shouldn't have to try to apologize for it. Uh, it it's something ingrained in who we are as human beings. If someone's bugging the shit out of you, you should do something about it. Uh, I mean, unless it's a kid at a public pool. I'm going to be going back to that all fucking night. Uh, but realistically, uh, I mean, let's say it's a missionary at your doorstep, or it's a co-worker trying to get a rise out of you. Are you supposed to just turn the other cheek? I don't think so, Tim. <laughs> not gonna happen. Not, that's not how we roll. Okay, so, so let me sort of break this down in, in a couple different ways. So when they say walking in open territory, does it literally mean you're walking through a field? No. No. It just doesn't, it means that you're not in your home. It's not in your lair. It's not in your uh, personal space. You're in the world, in other words. And bother no one, obviously. So, obviously, when we're out in the world, there's going to be a lot of people that bug the shit out of us. And so you, you have to... You have to be able to parse it out. Say, okay, well, this individual is taking forever to get my car rental finalized. Is it intentional? Are they just also having a bad day? Is you know, there's a lot of uh, factors that go into day-to-day life. So you have to chalk it up that way. So if someone's riding your ass uh, in their car, maybe they're not just trying to piss you off. <laughs> Maybe they're just trying to get to work and you're going slow as shit. Or if you're in traffic, they're just antsy and so are you. And that's why you think that they're just trying to get on your nerves. You have to have perspective here. And this is something that's throughout all of Satanism. As as a grown-ass man or woman, you have to be able to say, uh, well, this person is behaving this way because of this reason. So these are the variables. So this is what you have to take into account when you're running into that little phrase, if someone bothers you, ask them to stop. Uh, I mean, some things are beyond your control, but if you have a little bit of perspective, that will inform you. Um, and it certainly educate you about true motives. And then that next step, if he does not stop, destroy him. What, is it, what does that mean? I mean, does it literally mean you take your pen out of your pocket protector, I'm making judgments here, uh, and you stab them uh, in, in, the, uh, in the neck while clicking the end of the Bic pen, uh, hopefully hoping that extra eighth of an inch will, I don't know, like jam into the brain or something? No, of course not. No, I, I do not suggest you stab someone with your pen. I mean, you're going to have to use that pen later on. Why would you want to get it all, you know, clotted up with someone's neck? 
No, they uh, realistically, um, it, it can be taken a number of different ways. Okay, so if you want to take it with ritual, destroy them uh, symbolically. Go into the ritual chamber and destroy them in the ritual chamber uh, with all of your might, with all of your passion. Or uh, maybe not uh, in a ritual chamber, uh, imagining them destroyed physically. What about you just destroy them emotionally? Why? I mean, certainly that's as dangerous. I mean, we're always uh, hearing in the news how emotional abuse is just as bad, if not worse, than physical abuse. So why not destroy them emotionally? Why not uh, activate a little bit of a lesser, you know, pull out a little lesser magic on their ass and destroy them in the workplace or destroy them in the environment? I mean, maybe it's just someone at a checkout counter who is uh, being a little annoying. Why don't you do it back to them. Why don't you destroy them that way? Uh, maybe it's not emotionally. Maybe it's socially. Someone is trying to redefine your social conversation. Well, why don't you take it up a notch and destroy them socially? Uh, attack them on the same ground that they're attacking you, but better. But to a wider audience, but to a more personal audience. There's a lot of different ways that you can destroy an individual. And just to take that easy route, just to say, well, I'm going to kill them. Well, that's, that's a shortcut to thinking. Let's be a little bit more, yeah, a little more clever here, people. What does that say about you? So let, let's take this a step further. Um, I mean, certainly on its face, it's pretty point blank. Someone's bothering you. You ask them to stop. They don't stop. You destroy them. What does that say about you? Are you causing them to bother you? I mean, this is where we have to have a little bit of um, perspective because perhaps we're the ones causing this. And we can't go through life destroying everyone we run across that tells us uh, that, that bothers us even after we've asked them to stop. Maybe after the second or third time, you need to look in the mirror and realize that it's not everyone else. Maybe it's you. Maybe you have to do a little bit of work on yourself. Maybe you have to destroy that part of yourself that is the catalyst for all of this discord. We always have to be able to look at ourselves and, and, and recognize our faults, even if it hurts, especially if it hurts. All right, so we've we've mentioned this in, in looking at their perspective. We've mentioned this in looking at our perspective. And what about from an outsider's perspective? Should we not also take into account what the third person is going to take away from this encounter that we're having in open territory? Uh, PTA meetings, for example. Uh, if another mother is just goading you about your child and you tell them, you know what, be a grown-ass adult and stop this trash talking. You're a grown woman. You shouldn't be saying this. She keeps it up. You decide to destroy her, whether it's socially, emotionally, or physically in the ritual chamber. Whatever you decide is your choice. But what about everyone else in that room? And how are they going to perceive that? We have to be able to turn that to our advantage as well. This is where lesser magic is incredibly important. So you can, on your face... To everyone else present, take it on the chin, smile, uh, 
Don't let them know that it bothers you. Destroy them later, but you have to apply lesser magic to the rest of the room. You have to put yourself in the best light. Or, if it's your bag, the worst light, so that no one else will cross you in that way again. You cannot just think that this is a one-on-one -on -one encounter, that the two per persons involved are the only two persons that matter, because there are... Uh, there, there is a resonance with your actions in life. It carries beyond yourself. So it's like uh, sound waves, or it, it's like uh, uh, dropping a rock in a pond. Those waves of the agitation, of the behavior that just happened, of the action, they're going to come back to you. Control that effect. Manage that ripple. Go into it with your eyes open. So don't just... Go walking out in open territory, hoping someone's going to bother you so that you can tell them to stop, and then they don't stop, and then you can destroy them. You can really give them the good old one-two. <laughs> is that... Does people say that anymore? I gave them the one-two, the good old one-two. I had a... Totally off topic, just the one-two reminded me of it. A soldier in the military, um, we went through some training together, and then I ended up being his uh, communications sergeant. And I had to, because he was really a shitty soldier, I had to take him in front of the commanding officer and um, talk to him with uh, the authorities, uh, you know, as they were there. And it was about hitting another soldier. And he said, uh, I'm sorry, sir. I had to give him a two-piece. And he, just the way he said it was like, you know, two pieces of chicken. And he sort of did that little, like, one-fist before the other fist in front of his face, like, I don't know, like Donald Duck or something in an old black and white. It was really fucking funny, and we couldn't even punish him because we were laughing so damn hard at his... I had to give him a two-piece, sir. Uh, I'm sorry. It had, to, it had to happen. He wouldn't shut up. Um, but, I, I, admittedly, sometimes you do have to react like that. Sometimes you gotta give him a two-piece. <laughs> you get old one, too. But... Go into it knowing that there are going to be, uh, there's going to be repercussions that you may not acknowledge at that moment. So it's, it's, it's really important to be able to take a step back from any situation and realize that this statement, this rule of the earth as it were, it's not simple. No one ever said it should be black and white and simple. Nothing in Satanism ever is. There's always multiple layers to it. We have to be able to understand them. We have to study them. That's why, you know, Satan's in study, not worship. We need to be able to look past the words. Look at implication. Look at resonance. Understand that our actions through these words make waves. And we need to be able to control those waves. That's what Lesser Magic teaches us. Controlling your footprint. Your conversation about yourself. Um, and, and this rule of the earth is, is no different at all. So, yes, destroy them in the ritual chamber if you have to. But keep in mind how that makes you look. You're going to go run off and try to destroy everyone in the ritual chamber every time someone pisses you off? What kind of person are you? There's nothing wrong with vengeance. I encourage vengeance. Intelligent vengeance. Defining vengeance so that you end up on top, not just with the other individual but with everyone around them. That's true power. Look into it, people. Perspective is important. All right, and that's going to do it for the Devil's Advocate. Let's jump into the Infernal Informant.
Psst. Hey, hey. Hey, come here. Psst. What? Huh? Me? Do I know you? Hey, you're religious, man, aren't you? No more than anyone else? Listen. Listen, I got a secret. It's, it's been eating me up, and I gotta share it with someone. Get the fuck out of here, kid. I don't know you. No, listen, man. It's about you. It's about your life. You're about to have what, what alcoholics refer to as your moment of clarity. What are you talking about? Are you okay, son? Sins are indisposable to every society organized on an ecclesiastical basis. They are only reliable weapons of power. The priest lives upon sins. It's, it's necessary to him that there be sinning. Who the fuck are you, kid? I'm your infernal informant. Ten things to know for Monday, and this is ABC News, posted on 29 July. Wait a second. It's 28 July. Huh. Must be those Euro bastards again. <laughs> Alright, uh, your daily look at late breaking news, upcoming events, and the stories that will be talked about Monday. One. Alright, so we're, you know, obviously going to be breaking down 1 through 10. Who's agreed to resume peace talks? Israel uh, and uh, Palestine negotiators will meet in Washington after Israel okays release of 104 Palestinian prisoners. Have we seen this before? Have we seen this multiple times before? Hey, let's resume peace talks and then realize we hate each other and then deteriorate to nothingness. Yeah. Two-state solution, I do not see it happening, people. Number two of the ten things you need to know for tomorrow, or as you're listening to this today, Egypt braces for more violence. <laughs> Look at a big fat I told you so about this. Yeah, the military did not want to give up their power. Now they were going to hand it over to Morsi. You could argue that they did hand it over to Morsi, but as soon as they did, whoop, nope, not getting it right back. I want that power. They don't want freedom. They don't want democracy. Democracy means sometimes you're not, you know, you don't get what you want. You don't get what you voted for. That's what democracy is. They just kind of want to rule. Hey, I don't blame them. Power. It corrupts, man. It's, it's infectious. Power. But you know what? People are going to suffer for it. So, like I said, it's going to take a long time for Egypt to get their heads above water. The interim government vows to crack down on two protest camps organized by supporters of ousted President Morsi. See, that's democracy. We had something similar to that here. Ours turned out differently, of course. Three, not enough monitoring of monitoring bracelets in the U.S. The Associated Press finds that an avalanche of alerts is undermining attempts to check the whereabouts of sex offenders and others. Huh. Well, we have so many sex offenders and, quote, others to monitor with monitoring bracelets. Why don't we take a look at the sex offenders list? Okay, so I know for a fact that if you're a 16-year-old kid and the law says 15-year-old is the adult and you mess around with a 15-year-old in the grade younger than you, then you could be labeled a sex offender the rest of your life, even though it's two kids goofing off. You could be a sex offender. Stuff like that happens. And yes, sometimes it is actually real sex offenders, you know, pedophiles and, and um, rapists and stuff like that, which, yes, keep them off the damn streets. Make them, 
you know, have them treated like they are treated now. But sometimes that's not the case. And we do have a lot of in people that are just in shitty situations, like like uh, a boyfriend and girlfriend. And suddenly the parents don't like the boyfriend. He gets, you know, he, he they're the same age one first half of the year. He anecdotally, you know, he's uh, 18 the next day and then or, or 17 the next day, whatever the cutoff date is for uh, sex offenders. And then suddenly, you know what, we don't like you you're abusing our child, we're going to report you to police, and then there's trouble. It's anecdotal. It does happen. And there are, you know, people who should not be on the sex offenders list that are on the sex offenders list. So you pare that down. And then, you know, it's some people who are uh, being uh, home monitoring, you know, sort of uh, probation at home with uh, bracelets for drug offenses hell, if they weren't selling, but they were just caught using, let them go. Let them continue using. Let them kill themselves. You don't have to monitor them if they're dead. Like, let them deteriorate. Let them kill themselves with the substance. Illegal or not, I give a fuck. But you taking my tax dollars to monitor them, poorly, I might add, uh, and everyone else, just allows people to slip through the cracks. The real problem makers, the real sex offenders, the real criminals. So let's let's redefine uh, drug charges. Let's redefine sex offenders to actually be just the, the, the individuals selling drugs to children and then the individuals abusing children. And then we can sort of, and of course, you know, rapists. Um, and then we can sort of pare down this monitoring. We can actually help uh, keep it to a manageable level. A little common sense. Number four, searchers find second body after Hudson crash. It's believed to be Mark Lennon, who was to be the best man at the wedding of Lindsay Stewart and presumed dead. So I believe this is a speedboat incident that sort of crashed and they're still discovering bodies. Five, new sign of deteriorating U.S. economic security. More than 19 million white Americans have fallen below the poverty line of $23,021 for a family of four, accounting for more than 41% of the nation's destitute. Wow. More than 41% of people fall below the poverty line of an annual income of $23,021. That is unbelievably low. I, I truly believe that in, on an individual basis, we can pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. But there's something to be said when 41% of us are at that low. And that's, that's a, true, uh, a true problem that, that corporatism is the catalyst for, in my opinion. This is what happens when you don't have regulation and capitalism, or enough regulation and capitalism. Uh, it's no longer a fair meritocracy. It becomes a controlling system where CEOs have higher and higher incomes, and their workers have lower and lower incomes and fewer and fewer benefits. They're using Obamacare as an excuse to cut back on health care. So that's one more benefit that you're 
uh, lacking. It's just going to get worse unless we change the way our government works, unless we change the way that our society works and say capitalism without boundaries is not a good thing. You have to have some measures to protect. Uh, and let's just talk about um, uh, pay here. Let's just, just talk about salary here. If we have 41% of the country earning less than $24,000 a year, that's, that's almost unbelievable. That's how insane it is. And yet you have people making millions and millions and millions of dollars sitting on a CEO board for a company that's actually running into the ground. CEOs of banks who we had to bail out. What the hell? Like they're they're failing so badly that they have to come to the American people for help to exist. Our retarded government says, "Okay, we're going to help you." And then they fire off more people and they take bets, risky bets with their money, losing it. People's savings are gone. Okay, this this is what's happening. And hey, let's let's deregulate more. Yeah, it's great. It's like wild west of capitalism. It works perfectly. Six, bravest man I ever knew, dies at 88. Medal of Honor recipient, George Bud Day, spent five and a half years as a POW in Vietnam and was honored, I'm sorry, and was John McCain's cellmate. So I truly appreciate Medal of Honor recipients. I do have one little thing to say about the POW thing. And I know that there's a lot of POWs in Vietnam and it's not always your fault more often than not it's not your fault whenever you're captured but i mean that, that's losing right like why I, as a country we're celebrating people who who lost like wh I, I don't i don't get that like i understand if you sacrifice yourself for something that you believe in that's you making a conscious decision but if you're pow you didn't that wasn't, you didn't walk up and say, hey, uh, please take me and shove bamboo shafts into my nails. You were caught. You lost. Why do we celebrate that? We shouldn't. And so what are we celebrating? Their survival? Like just existing? That's the natural state of human existence is trying to survive. We, And yes, we should celebrate being a human, but I don't know, man. It, it's a little weird. So this, this may be, uh, this may give me a little hate mail, but. I don't know about celebrating just being a POW. I understand if you did something to save a whole bunch of lives and stuff like that, that makes sense. But losing, that, that doesn't seem to be something we should celebrate. A seven, tour bus crashes into Italian ravine. At least two dozen die as Italian pilgrims plunge off highway near Avellino. I don't know all the details of this. I just actually skimmed a news article before I started the show about this. Interesting. It was, it was almost like a stout, like a, um, uh, sorry, it's a, a traffic jam on this sort of uh, mountainous highway. And this bus just crashed into some cars. So I don't know if it was like speed, the Italian version of speed, and they just couldn't stop the bus. And so they had to run into people. And But anyway, a lot of people died. A lot of people are wounded. Uh, horrible, horrible catastrophe. Probably preventable. <laughs> we'll find out more about it probably on Monday. Eight, where young black male humanity gets a rare showcase. 
The film Fruitvale Station dramatizes a real-life case of a 22-year-old African-American man shot in the back by a police officer in 2009. Yeah, this stuff happens. I know we like to think of it as like, oh, well, please, everyone has a fair shake. The police are never tougher on anyone else than anyone else. But let's take away the black male tag and let's just say a young male was shot in the back by a police officer Shit like this does happen, regardless of racial uh, overtones, regardless of anything. Police officers get on these power kicks, and some of them are bad people, and they do bad things. And they get away with it most of the time. Especially if it's a black man, they get away with it most of the time. So we sort of need to take a look at the way we manage our police forces. I think as a society, we need to remind these assholes that they are there to work for us, not against us. Police should not be something that's feared. Hopefully, they're just an annoyance. Like, yes, officer, I'm doing, uh, I'm a law-abiding citizen, leave me the fuck alone. Not, oh my gosh, yes, sir, I'll do whatever you say. Please don't tase me, bro. That's how I see it anyway. Nine, how social media helps track property lost in Holocaust. Israel-based genealogy company uses the internet to match items stolen by the Nazis to heirs of victims. This is kind of cool, you know? I mean, this is a, a good... This is probably one of the better uses of our social media. Um, tracking lost property. I think it would be fantastic if my son could get his bike back that was stolen. Or our, our uh, holiday presents that were stolen out of my trunk through social media. That would be amazing. I'm not going to hold my breath, but in cases like this, uh, if you suffered as a, a Jew in Nazi Germany and you're just now getting your stuff back uh, to your family, that's amazing, right? I mean, that's almost um, as unbelievable as the 41% of the nation's destitute uh, earning less than uh, $23,000 a year. Uh, okay, and number 10, last one here, people. One more reason he's Yankee captain. Derek Jeter hits a home run in his first at-bat after coming off disabled list. Hey, uh, how about we check his blood? Let's see if he's juicing because that seems to be the... <laughs> that seems to be the tune most of these uh, sports gents are uh, playing here. Alright, so the next article, let's dive into the New York Daily News. Timing of latest Anthony Weiner scandal perfect for Christine Quinn comeback. Weiner had passed Quinn in a race that was supposed to be hers to lose, at least before Weiner got into it. <laughs> now comes the latest rounds of, rounds of revelations about sexting that Weiner was doing after he resigned from Congress, and Quinn is leading him 25% to 16% in a toll taken Thursday. And this is posted today. I'm sorry, I hope you can't hear my kid in the back. It's, it's bath time, and, and they tend to freak out. Kristen Quinn, who has spent so much of this New York mayoral primary season making Anthony Weiner look good, went after him on Meet the Press on Sunday, when she should have been sending Weiner some kind of text message, strictly regulation, thanking him, mostly for saving her from drowning. When you see scandal after scandal about Weiner's sexting habits, Quinn said, what it does is create more distrust, maybe even more disgust in government. Then she said this about Anthony Weiner. Has he disqualified himself? Yes, he disqualified himself, but not just because of these scandals. He was in Congress for 12 years and passed one bill. Normally that would sound really bad unless you look at 
the state of our Congress and realized that that could be said about virtually every single member. I mean, let's be honest, that Congress is dysfunctional at best and inept in reality. They don't go, no one goes to Congress to compromise anymore. So that's not an argument that you can say, oh, that's shocking, that's horrible. People go to Congress to stand on their partisan ground and try to make the other side look bad enough so that they can go back to their constituents and get elected again for another session. That's all Congress does. We Another thing that we need to address, uh, Congress is completely worthless. It, it's, a, it's a complete waste of uh, <laughs> a large part of our government. Um, okay, but that being said, he did send a lot of dick pics. I... I gotta be honest, I, and this may come as a shock to some of you, uh, sarcastically. I don't care about what you do in your personal life. I, I care about how you legislate. I care about the battles you fight. I care about the stances you take. That's what I care about. I do not care if you're sending your penis to 100 women or 12 women. It, it means nothing to me. What does bother me is when you say you stopped and you haven't. So you're just lying. I don't... I, I, I cherish honesty. I, I celebrate honesty. I cannot stand liars, and I cannot stand lying. Now, that may mean that I'm never going to like anyone in politics. So be it. Um, but sex scandals, I think we're kind of past that. And I think the fact that he's still in the race is proof of that. I mean, essentially, he doubled down on the sexting pics. So he apologized. He had his wife out there saying that she forgave him. So, so should we, and we should allow him to be a, a mayoral, uh, taken seriously as a, a mayoral candidate for New York. Um, and at the same time admitting, yeah, I still did it. Even after I, the balls is not just wiener. It's also balls. <laughs> Anthony Balls Wiener is what I'm going to call him from now on. He has got them. He's got a pair and not just because I saw the pics. <laughs> Actually, didn't see any balls in that. Which is because I say, you know, wiener's uh, not too shabby <laughs> in the wiener department. <laughs> All right, what am I talking about? Now comes to the latest rounds of revelations about sexting that Wiener had uh, was doing after he resigns from Congress, and the revelations that Wiener actually went on the online as the name. And here, here's the best part: he stopped texting under his own name, and he started texting under the name Carlos Danger. Awesome. <laughs> I am Carlos Danger, and this is my winner. <laughs> so cool. I you know, I forgive him the line because he he again the ball is on this wiener. He named himself Carlos Danger. That is the greatest poor name for a politician ever. Carlos Danger. Here is my winner. Alright, so this is obviously the more that's come out that he's been texting, uh, the more it's boosting his rival, uh, the incumbent Quinn, in her race. And I, I have to be honest, I have not studied Quinn, uh, her history, her stances, I don't know what she's done for the, um, for the city, I, I, I just I haven't really followed her that much, but uh, I was a fan of, uh, again, anecdotally, I was a fan of Wiener. <laughs> I like Wiener. 
Honestly, mainly because he was just, you know, he was real. Apparently, he was real when he was actually in Congress. Uh, the way he spoke, the way he addressed people, the way he presented himself. Um, self-deprecating humor at times, even, about his last name. Uh, and then, you know what? Whatever. People have people do things that they're not proud of uh, in the moment. People have problems, um, meaning addictions, and maybe this is one for him. Who knows? I'm not going to hold it against him. If he's capable of legislating and he's better than Quinn, well, you know what? Ignore the personal sex life and just focus on that because how he how he acts while he's in the suit on the job, that's what matters to us. And we just need to stop worrying about these stupid scandals, these sex scandals that happen off the clock in their personal lives. We don't want them coming into our bedroom. Why the hell are we jumping into theirs? Uh, I, that's just kind of how I see it. Who gives a damn? All right, so that's going to do it for Informal Informant. Let's go ahead and take... This is actually going to be a really long episode, I think. Um, let's do a little bit of uh, militant eroticism, and then that's going to wrap the episode. So, uh, Adine, take it away. The top hated and the low-browed. With a scarlet passion and valid gospel, I say to you, Thou in sick style of remote altars, be not of love, but of lust, into one of those full ears of bellies full. Expand your genital rebellion to vindicate the shrew. Let thy brothel be revelation, then thy moans are divine wisdom. Salvation in the whole religion. Our dogma is their kink. With legs spread, with flesh mounted, we point out to our accusers a slut alone is no slut at all. This I say to you, my fellow eroticists, my hands on borders. It doesn't matter who bends over. In the end, we are all degraded. Welcome back to Militant Eroticism. Uh, I know I've been posting on Facebook a few snippets from this episode, and it's uh, one of my favorite topics. It's value compatibility. I, uh, this, uh, this little episode I'm going to call Dating for a Good Fucking Reason. I want you guys to try an experiment. I want you to sit down, your friends... And acquaintances that are in relationships, whether they're married or just met somebody, and ask them, why do you love this person? More times than not, they're probably going to give you something emotional, something feely. In all honesty, that pisses me off when people say, oh, well, I love them. Yeah, why? Well, because, you know, they do this, that, and that. Like, okay, well, now why do you like those things? Now, I don't do this a lot because that could be really annoying someone to sit there and drill you on your relationships. But I do do it a lot to close friends of mine that um, have just met somebody to make perfectly sure they know what they're doing and why they're doing it. 
I'm of the mind that all things of serious interest must be rationally considered, judged harshly, and critiqued annually. Sexual compatibility is the basis for a relationship, or as I phrase it, lust leads to love. But what are the conditions for love? Many people will confuse the honeymoon phase or infatuation with true love. Now, the honeymoon phase is a chemical high. It's a chemical high combined with an erection. It's meant for procreation. Honeymoon phase can last anywhere from two weeks to three years, uh, according to the data. <laughs> uh, but it's actually a really interesting topic in, um, in the social uh, sciences, the uh, honeymoon phase puppy love. Um, I suggest anybody to go and check it out. I'll post some research on the, the Facebook page also. Um, so they confuse infatuation with true love. Romance maybe, but love probably not. One must be able to have fun uh, together, mutual interests, but above all else, value compatibility. And this really what matters when you want to get serious with somebody, when you want something long term. However many members you have in your relationship that are privy to your emotions, this excludes hookups and fuck buddies, must have at least the same foundations you do. For example, two firm values I hold um, are rational self-interest and controlled hedonism. Thus, if my lover, uh, my lover sorry, disagrees with those two values, they are removed from the candidates of my tribe. I am an avowed atheist. Philosophy proper, I'd be called a weak atheist. But if someone I'm fucking believes in a deity of any sort, they are removed from the candidates of serious interest. Though I will accept agnosticism, uh, I can I can see why agnosticism it makes perfect sense to me agnosticism. Uh, but to me, if you're gonna if you're gonna say that you don't know and you could not know, you might as well just be a weak atheist. A weak atheist, on a side note, is somebody who says there's no evidence. There's no evidence for it. So why would I believe something? Why would I even entertain the idea? A strong atheist is somebody who says, uh, there is no God. I know there is no God. Uh, that's the primary difference, but that's, yeah, that's neither here nor there. So I'll accept agnosticism. And if um, I meet somebody and I really like them, and I mean I really have to fucking like them, I'll take a deist. Deism, you know, I disagree with it, but it's, it's like, all right, maybe there was something and it went away and doesn't do anything. It's like someone built a clock and left it on the fireplace and left the house. That's it. So I can, okay, I can take that. But I really have to fucking like you. <laughs> if one declares loyalty to that which contradicts their own values, they are in effect being disloyal to what serves them and their happiness. Often in the past to describe these people, I've used the term hypocrite, and most of the time these people are, but this is not always true. I do contend that value compatibility is crucial and the path to a long relationship. Always remember that when in a relationship with someone, you are declaring to the world that this person is either your equal or on the fast track to being your equal. I would never call my boyfriend, or if I had a boyfriend, um, my equal in value. I don't know if I would take a bullet for this person, but they're the leading contender for it. This person is going to be your equal. The only person you take a bullet for, they're your comrade, your partner, your tribesman, your compatriot. These are powerful statements because you are judged by who you hang out with 
and in my opinion, rightfully so. I want you to think of how you look at your friends when they're fucking somebody that you would call a butterface. Or when you get to know a new, uh, a new person that one of your close friends are dating, and you just can't stand them. How do you look at your friend? Now, I'm not saying that you should date based on your friend's opinions, but they're your friends for a reason. You trust these people. You should probably listen to them. Choose your equals wisely. Love, in and of itself, may be irrational. I mean, it's an emotion. But for the love of fucking Satan, be rational in choosing who you are irrational about. Your values. Rational principles that are meant to guide you to pleasure and keep you from harm. Why is it everybody abandons these things when it comes to love? Satanists can also be guilty of this. We are not excluded. It happens. Love is not fucking. Fucking is not love. Just because you put your penis in something or ride a penis or whatever doesn't mean you love them, even though if, you know, if they're good at it, sometimes it feels like you're head over heels. And sometimes that may be the case. <laughs> so fuck who you want, love who deserves it. How does one ascertain who deserves it? Well, this depends on your values. But do you know what they are? Do you know why you value them? We begin with what we want and apply that to the real world, to our experience. This is, I, I, I could call this pragmatism. I'm at the drawing board, I think of something abstractly, logically, and then I apply it to the real world, see if it works. If it doesn't work, go back to the drawing board, try again. It's almost like the scientific method. Love is not a fairy tale. It's a result of something. As corny as it seems, love, I kind of think of like ritual magic, uh, like life. You get what you put into it, kind of like sex. Values ought to be practical and self-serving, specifically for people like us, for Satanists. We're not idealists. We are self-serving individuals. We strive to fulfill that which can be by our own doing. Whether the pursuit of something is intellectual or physical, we tend to value that which gives us pleasure. Building a personal system of ethics or values, championing that which makes us happy, and damning that which inhibits or harms the pursuit of said happiness. The current theory of human behavior is a mix of nature and nurture, meaning that nature sets the stage via genetic inclinations and tendencies, which are built through external stimuli via the environment. Um, this would be nurture, which creates our personality. We can liken it to finding land that would dictate how we build our house. If the mix of nature and nurture is true, as the evidence suggests, then one's hobbies and interests are reflections of an individual's values, which in turn is a nice peek into one's nature. And I want to make this clear. I'm in no way suggesting that one's interests must match your own to the T. Rather, that interests in the same genre are crucial to the, uh, to the success of a relationship, whether it be friends or lovers. Specifically, sexual interests when strictly dealing with fuck buddies. Why sleep with someone if they're not going to please you? I mean, if you like getting spanked, why sleep with someone who doesn't want to spank you? Doesn't make any sense. Why's he got two? While fun is important to relationships of various sorts, I do extend this to belief systems. If two people are atheists, one positing strong atheism, the other uh, positing weak atheism, this is perfectly acceptable. If two people are both socialists, but from two different schools of thought within that political philosophy, this is also okay. I'm admittedly using narrow examples, but the point is, I'm just stressing this suggested precept. 
enough differences to stand as an individual with enough similarities to benefit from each other. I do agree with Ayn Rand when, she's, uh, when she makes a comparison, relationships are like business deals. Relationships are nothing more than a set of rules. That's it. Take the emotions out of it. That's exactly what they are. Business deals. This, this kind of goes hand in hand with something I'm probably going to cover in another episode, but I'm going to touch on it now. You can sacrifice. Self-sacrifice to your lover is insulting. You're basically saying, I'm going to give you something that I value more than you. It should be about trade. Um, in one of my relationships, I was completely monogamous, never cheated. And my thought on this was, I value you more than I value uh, my previous swinging lifestyle. So this is there's no sacrifice for me. It's I'm getting what I want. I'm trading these other three people in for you because I value you more. That wasn't sacrifice. And it really pisses me off when people said, oh my God, that was so great of you to sacrifice your life, your, your sexual escapades for that. I didn't sacrifice a goddamn thing. I got what I, exactly what I wanted. So, in short, relationships are business deals. There you two or however many people sit down and they discuss rules that they can both live with with as little compromise as possible. I'll get on that in a minute. Uh, well, a while ago, my first or second semester of college, a psychology professor once told me, opposites attracting is not true. Are nice gals and guys attracted to assholes? Side note, in my experience, yeah, I'm a raging asshole and I usually get really nice, uh, sweet, wholesome people. But uh, he kept saying, are pacifists attracted to people who beat them? Romance and love are complicated human emotions. Opposites attracting is totally oversimplified bullshit. And while I do agree with him that opposites attract is rather oversimplified, it's certainly not bullshit. As I said before, enough differences to be yourself with enough similarities to be together. Um, a visual I can offer is a square, different angles of the same shape. I contend that there are alpha males, beta males, dominant women, and submissive women, and there are variations between these extremes, and that all relationships do have a more dominant, more submissive personality in them. If you're in a group relationship, one or two members will dominate the others, and the rest will be submissive to them. I'm speaking outside of any ethical or moral code here. Dominant does not mean strong and submissive does not mean weak in any positive or negative sense. In this conversation, toss those stupid notions out of your head. But in an attempt to be brief, I will use monogamous relationships as an example. A dominant man and a submissive woman both agreeing that humans have hierarchical social groups naturally. Thus, egalitarianism is rather unnatural and foolish. Both individuals agree on the natural order of human groups while fulfilling different roles in it. They have opposite character traits. In my view, a relationship is treated as a business deal, as I said, as it pertains to rules and qualities. Thus, someone who fulfills a role that is emotionally needed and is active in areas when you are not, where you are not, is it's perfect. Uh, example, I'm not a good cook. I'm not really inclined to learn how to cook beyond feeding myself. I know how to make my favorite foods as best as I can. And I, you know, I eat almost fresh produce and nothing but that almost. So I have to cook. But when I'm looking for a man, cooking is a huge plus. 
but not just a good cook. By their very nature, they have a passion for cooking, and through that, they become skilled. Several guys I've dated just loved cooking. On their days off from work, they would spend the whole day in the kitchen playing with recipes, and I'd get the benefit because they were just fantastic cooks. And I was, of course, always very grateful that they that I got to eat their fantastic cooking. I was thrilled. I was honored to eat, uh, to eat such great food. But I didn't ask them. They weren't obligated. They It wasn't their duty to do it. They did it because they loved cooking. That trait is something that I value, so I sought it. So what I, you know, I've been talking about values and uh, having the right values and making sure your values go with theirs, but how do you judge people with these values? Words are much like a blueprint in that they lay the plan for what one should be thinking, feeling, believing, and doing. Action is really what proves integrity. In dating, anyone can simply say, oh, I believe A, B, and C. But you have to watch them to know reasonably if they're bullshitting you, if they're a hypocrite, or if they've just forgotten themselves and made a mistake. Going out to dinner and whatnot, those are fine dates. But spend some time with the individual you're interested in to see how they actually go about things. Guys that I'm dating, I put in different social situations on purpose. I want to see what they do. I don't really tell them anything about the situation either. Just like, hey, let's go here. They happen to run into my friends or people that I respect. And then I stand back and watch the show. So to differ between a bullshitter, a hypocrite, and someone who's just forgotten themselves, see if they correct their mistake. If you think it's needed, and if it's a bit ballsy, point it out to them in a courteous manner, and in such a way that you appear to be helping them, or more bluntly, not threatening their ego. We all falter at points, and an intelligent person should be striving for self-awareness. With this in mind, we can only judge by the intent. If the individual you are interested in just doesn't seem to give a shit about what he or she has said, um, are their convictions, they're either bullshitting you about those values or they're a hypocrite. Each are worthy of dismissal. I find the best way to go about extracting someone's real values is to tell them stories, whether true or not, that have some kind of ethical dilemma. Once your dating interest gives you a thumbs up or down to what you did, or they tell you what they would have done, pair it to another story where the ethical dilemma is in reverse. Attempt to see what their values are, how they figure into practical situations, and of course, match them to your own. And on here, I want to touch on principles of convenience and idealism. Principles of convenience are, you know, I wake up in the morning and, oh, I hit my standard. That's great. That's nice. It's like going to class knowing you can get a B, but never striving for an A, which idealism would be the um, the opposite, almost. It would be, I get Bs in the classroom. I need a 4.0 and to be on honors and to do all my homework and pass every test. Not going to happen. It's, it's an impossible standard. A principle of convenience is changing, your, is changing your beliefs and your values to suit whatever situation you're in. Idealism is something that you could not possibly reach. It's, it's aspiring to something that you could not get to. It's a fanciful idea. It's ridiculous. So, this principles of convenience ties into compromise. Compromise is something else that kind of pisses me off. Many people speak of compromise and that 
it is the only way to function with other people, especially if you live with them. Many people also give compromise as the first answer to any issue you may have with any partner, but most of them don't stop to think about what is worth compromising on. This, again, is a question of values, and no one, and I mean no one, can tell you what is more important. They can only point out that you have a decision to make while detailing the consequences of that decision. You have to guard against idealism. You will not find someone who has all the same values and ethics that you do. I suggest striving for someone who has the same foundational values, the same premises and precepts. If one of your foundational values is altruism, I don't suggest dating an objectivist. Compromising on action is a bit different. If someone you loved is bothered by how loud you sing in the shower, like a few people I've dated were bothered by how loud I sing in the shower. I told them to fuck off, but you know, it's acceptable to compromise there. What the color seems of your home, what to eat for dinner, how to spend extra money, things like that. I don't really consider those compromises. That's just, that's living. Um, but that's semantics. Foundational values, the intellectual reflections of your natural inclinations should never be compromised on. If you do, then you are behaving unnaturally and lying to yourself and to everybody else. A dictum I use when ferreting out another's value system is the majority dictates the decision. Meaning that if the majority of yours and their, uh, theirs value, values clash, then thumbs down should be given. While if the majority of yours and their values match up, then a thumbs up is appropriate. If a lover insists that charity is good, and you believe that charity is situational or ambiguous, then just reject their idea of duty, dig around in their value system to see how high in the pyramid charity is for them. This example can be worked out through a minimal compromise, too. If your lover insists on charity being good, then just donate to one that you think is good. Personally, anyone who tells me something is my duty, I tell them to fuck off. And that's the end of the conversation. Um, I cannot suggest, without being guilty of hypocrisy, that a rejection of your heart's interest in this situation is prudent. All I can say is that you must consider your. I want to express this again. I'm not telling you what values to pick up. I'm telling you to think about them. Consider your own hierarchy of values. And by knowing the most important ones, mesh with theirs. Perhaps this is repetitive, and rightfully, if so, and it's kind of redundant saying that natural inclinations are derived from one's nature, but I must add that these inclinations must be rationally considered and incorporated into your value system. A value system based on what you are not, in a sense, in a poetic sense, is guilty of breaking the law of identity. A is A. I use this law loosely in the way that any ethical system that is not derived from your nature will lead you to behave unnaturally. If it is in your nature to engage in homosexual behavior and you subscribe to an ethical system that damns that behavior, then you are attempting to be what you're not. Gay Christians, I can't stand it. Specifically Catholic Christians. I'm sorry, Catholic queers. The Catholic Church has suggested celibacy for homosexuals instead of committing the sin. But we're not celibate creatures. Thus, even if you are successful at being celibate, you're still acting outside of your nature and breaking, like I said in a poetic sense, the law of identity. Some may say that this is too liberal. 
having the ability to justify someone's need to murder or rape, which they're right. This is the implication of what I'm saying. But it is in our nature to kill. And there's a lot of research that there's an evolutionary advantage to rape. Hell, some cultures even play battle with other tribes where women are kidnapped, married, and raped, um, either seriously or they do it as a part of tradition. Um, it's almost like a, a large-scale play where there is no real rape. Everything is worked out, but they, they do it symbolically. Where the line is drawn between what I'm suggesting and its implications is that it is also in our nature to be social and therefore prudent to create a common code of ethics, like laws, that allow us to engage with one another. Now, admittedly, this creates a problem for people who have criminal inclinations, like pedophilia and rape, but that's my personal research. That's what exactly what I'm studying, behavior redirection as it pertains to criminalized fetishes or paraphilias. Um, that's a, another topic, but suffice it to say, you uh, to be a there's no cure for pedophilia or rape. We don't really know where it comes from, so we kind of got to deal with it. Fantasy, and that's where I'll leave that. Um, I'll leave it with fantasy, and I'll touch on it in a, another episode. The bottom line here is rational consideration of natural inclinations. It doesn't hurt anyone to pound butt consensually. Well, not really. I mean, all sex damages the body. Rape, though, is harmful to the victim. It is natural to eat, but not to weigh 400 fucking pounds. When explaining myself on value compatibility, people have said that I've sucked the romance out. And how could you be so judgmental? Well, I'll tell you exactly why I'm judgmental. Because I care about my time, the quality of my life, and those who are in it. I couldn't have sucked the romance out of any relationship. I feel with my emotions, but I think with my head. Those who make these kind of claims are seemingly incapable of progressing past Romeo and Juliet. If you think hard about what to buy at the grocery store to make a good dinner, why not think fucking hard about who you're going to love and why they deserve it? You can help who you love. You just cannot help what you're attracted to. Like those stupid gay pride signs. I can't help who I love, oh my god! You can't help that you like guys with tattoos or sucking dick or small boobs or chubby women. But you can decide which of those people is worthy of your affection. If inclined to rationalize this morally, isn't it more sincere and fair to be critical and judgmental? At least you're not lying to the person and wasting both of your guys' time. Be prepared to be judgmental. Know that you want someone that makes you happy. Know that you want a rich and worthwhile relationship and know that your goal is to love someone for a good fucking reason. Romance and signs of affection are actions derived from emotional favor, fervor, and a conviction that this person is worth these things. They are signs that you care. And I'm not arguing to not do those things. I'm saying that doing these things should be backed by a good reason. It is true that we are emotional beings, but it is also true that our evolutionary skill is our more advanced brain, in air quotes. Logic and reason should always inform the actions one takes, not in any moral sense, not in terms of right and wrong, but in terms of pragmatism. Our values, if thought out, are derived from our natural inclinations, and they should inform our emotions. I like to summarize this as feeling with the heart, but thinking with the head. Emotions are not truth. Feeling is not a measurement of reality. They are to be taken into account.
Otherwise, um, otherwise we would just end up with people we have no attraction to. We'd be kind of like a computer. They're just like, oh, hey, we'd make good babies. Let's do it. Stupid. Think of it as this. We begin with our emotions or our physical attractions. And then we must justify an action to take with reason and logic. Example of that is, wow, this guy is hot. Wonder if I should go home with him. Or we have fun together, but he's act he's really active in a socialist political group, and I'm really active in laissez-faire capitalism. Three words can summarize almost everything I've said. Feel, think, please think. <laughs> and then act on it. Feel, think, act. There we go. Values ought to be practical and self-serving. Specifically for people like us. We are not idealists. We are saintness, and our value is our own happiness. We strive to fulfill that which can be by our own doing. I know this has been fairly long-winded, but watching people date really pisses me off because they don't think. So again, again, when you date, do it for a good fucking reason. <laughs> Hell yes! Oh, that was great! Great! I am so pleased. I could not be uh, more impressed with the way, um, not only Adine with militant eroticism or Darren with Agent Provocateur or Aaron with Down to the Crossroads or Jesse with um, uh, I Dream of Jesse. I'm really, really happy with the way these contributors First, the professionalism that they're taking when providing and creating the content, but also in the way that they're uh, recording it, presenting it, and just putting it out there. You know, they have the the guts to do this. Uh, I'm very, very impressed. Uh, thank you, Adine, for doing this. Uh, I thought that episode was fantastic. Keep it up. All right, but you know what? That is going to do it for another show. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I would love to hear from you. Visit the website 9centspodcast.com and send your correspondence to info at 9centspodcast.com. Let me know of any suggestions, critiques, corrections, or general comments you might have. You can visit the Satanet, Facebook, Google+, Twitter, or MySpace page for 9cents and get updated on weekly topics. Download the show Monday nights uh, via my RSS feed found at 9centspodcast.com. We're also on Last.fm, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube, so look for us there. You can subscribe to 9 Cents via iTunes by searching 9 Cents, and don't forget to leave a rating or comment. If you'd like to learn more about the Church of Satan, visit churchofsatan.com. And keep in mind, the only way this podcast is going to live is if you tell a friend. Share 9 Cents with your friends, with your enemies, hell with your grandmother. Let's build this satanic ship from hell, I did it again, together. <laughs> Help spread the word, people. And once again, and as always, thank you for joining me. And as always, I'm going to say that a lot. I am your host, as always. <laughs> Adam Campbell, one more, as always. <laughs> and until next week, it'll see.